And uh, I did this last time I was in here, so I'm going to be that weird guy to do it again. Would you mind, if you're able, just standing for the reading of Scripture today? We're going to be reading from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. James wrote, From James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered outside the land of Israel, Greetings. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. But anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give everyone, to everyone, without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. Whoever asks should not hesitate. They should ask in faith without doubting. Whoever doubts is like the surf of the sea tossed and turned by the wind. People like that should never imagine that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded, unstable in all their ways. And may God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Our hearts and minds are open. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Our kids uh, department does offer a kids' church for... Um, kindergarten through second grade. And if you didn't slip out after the scripture reading to go to that, you would like to just accompany your kids down to room 214. It's uh, take it left down the hall and you'll see the children's desk. They would love to, to have you there if that's something you want to do. Uh, have you ever heard um, of the proverbial dog who caught the car, right? You know, uh, we kind of know what that means. It means that, you know, a dog who instinctually chases a car, what's he going to do if he catches it? <laughs> we don't know. You know, we've kind of, for the last, you know, few weeks, or I guess six, eight weeks, I can't remember, dug through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in the Gospel of Matthew. And at the end of that, we have kind of launched a new way, or or at least a new way to say it, to identify what we here at Asbury are are all about. It's a call to action. And and that is that that we, the people at Asbury, exist to embody the way of Jesus together as we worship, serve, and grow. We, We are to build our foundation, our faith foundation, on the preaching and teachings of Jesus. Now, I'm really excited about that, but I kind of feel like the dog who caught the car. What do you do with that? What's next? How do you truly begin to embody Jesus? For the next uh, several weeks uh, that'll lead us into uh, Advent, Uh, Here in our modern service, we're going to be digging into the letter of James. Uh, This letter was sent to a group of people 
who were giving who were given a new challenge, a new way to live, a new covenant. And and this letter, James is writing to encourage people to stay on the narrow path, so to speak. Uh, James kind of puts it in verse 22, which is later on from where Michael read. Uh, He said, you must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. You know, living as doers of the word involves having the wisdom to know that Jesus's way is the best way for us to thrive. As we look deeper into this letter, I think it's important for us to have some context. You know, I call it a letter, but really chapter one is the only thing that resembles the other other letters in the New Testament. It's almost like he got a, a bunch of his sermons and attached it to the email for for lack of better word. And and we're also not 100% of which of the Jameses wrote this letter. But but many scholars attribute it to Jesus' brother, James. And and I like that one because it it just adds a whole new dimension. I mean, think about that for a moment. Uh, Your older brother says that he is the savior of the world. Now, I don't know about how you grow up, but my older brother put me in a toy chest and sat on it for what felt like an hour. It was probably only about five minutes. But am I going to follow that guy? <laughs> I, I mean, think about it. In Mark 3, his family got together to do an intervention. They were outside of the house where Jesus was preaching. <laughs> and, and they were going to talk him out of it. They said that he was out of his mind. Then Jesus kind of snuck out the back door. You know, some scholars even argue that James, the brother of Jesus, didn't become a follower until after Jesus died and was resurrected. Now, it's likely that James was with the group of disciples that was with Jesus during the 40 days from the time uh, he was resurrected until the time he ascended where he was teaching on the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think this could have been James's uh, crash course in the way of Jesus He was highly regarded, James was, by the early Christians. He was a leader in the church. He sat uh, on the Jerusalem council. Paul and Peter both updated James on their happenings in their work. Now, the letter of James almost didn't make it into our New Testament. It wasn't until the fourth century that it was acknowledged by both the Eastern and Western churches. Uh, James is not a letter about Jesus, 
like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. James is not a soaring theological statement. I often wondered why, as a young person, I gravitated toward the book of James. And then in seminary, I learned that James was not considered a high theological work. And I thought, that's it. <laughs> it's the practicalness of James that just grabs you. You know, Martin Luther described it as an epistle of straw. <laughs> this letter is written to give Jesus' followers tools to embody his way. It, it gave them the what's next. Now that we're a part of this new covenant, what is next? Now, this first chapter, it reads a lot like a table of contents. It kind of sets the stage for, for what we're gonna walk through over the next several weeks. And right off the bat, he addresses that the people who follow Jesus are going to face various trials. He writes, my brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. We don't really know what trials or tests that James is referring to in this verse. We can probably make the assumption that he's talking about the normal, everyday, hard times that's going to come your way if you decide to be a follower of Jesus. Now, this is a long-standing value uh, in the Christian faith. However, in our modern-day Western expression of Christianity, we don't talk about it a whole lot. But for most, if not all, of the Christian church, uh, there has been the belief that joy is not dependent on your happiness, your health, or wealth. Remember, Jesus taught that people will be blessed when they're persecuted for their faith and when they mourn the brokenness of the world. James realizes that this is a big ask. So he encourages people to seek wisdom from God. Uh, in verse five, he says, but anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Don't you love that? Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. And he goes on to talk about uh, how important it is for people not to be double-minded, not to keep one foot in the world and one foot in the Jesus movement. And there's always been people, and there always will be people who, who try to keep their feet in both places. In fact, John Wesley, the founder of the the, the Methodist movement in the 1700s, uh, it, it's written that he fell into a great despair over people who claim to be Christians, yet do not live like it. In fact, one of his most famous sermons, and it's such a great title, is called Almost Christian. And in this sermon, Wesley argues that an almost Christian is someone who, uh, in 
in how they act says that they are a Christ follower, but yet they keep their toes in the world. And an altogether Christian actually strives to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. You know, living as as doers of the word involves having the wisdom to know that Jesus' way is the best way for us to thrive. It's, It's pretty simple. Just do what Jesus taught you to do. Yeah, but that's not easy, is it? When you make a decision to become a Jesus follower, you might have that euphoric feeling that everything from here on out is going to be wonderful. And then in an instant, you're faced with the same troubles you had before you gave your life to Christ. Now, this leads many people to giving up on following Jesus because they just keep falling into the same old patterns. In fact, Paul addresses this in the, the, the book of Romans. He says, I do not do the good that I want to do, but I do the evil that I don't want to do. But if I do the very thing that I don't want to do, then I'm not the one doing it anymore. Instead, it's sin that lives in me that is doing it. So I find that as a rule, when I want to do what is good, evil is right there with me. Embodying the way of Jesus is not a sprint. It's a marathon. There'll be good days and there'll be bad days. And when, notice I didn't say if, and when you mess up, God is right there with you and so are we. This journey of faith is something that we do as a group. This week, I want you to uh, ask yourself two questions as you go through your week. Uh, You can do this as a family if you like, or a small group, or you can just do it on your own. But but ask yourself these two questions during the week to, to help you think about how you can bridge the gap of faith and become closer to who God knows that you can be. The first one, where do I find joy? Do, do you put your joy in material things or in spiritual things? In other words, is your joy dependent on the outcomes of life? You know, some people uh, argue that James and Paul were opposed to each other theologically, and, and, and you can make pretty good lines to prove that out, but I think that's misunderstanding what the two of them are trying to say. Paul, in fact, displayed this sense of having joy in times of trial perfectly. For example, he wrote uh, as... He was on house arrest. He wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. He's been arrested. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord 
is near. James talks about how we're going to face tests in our faith. Uh, Our scripture highlights the idea of trials in the form of testing how we live our life. If we truly want to embody the way of Christ, then hard times are going to come our way. But we can approach these hard times with a sense of joy because we know that they're going to help us grow into the person God knows that we can be. So where do you put your joy? Has anybody else seen that Netflix show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo? I hope I said her name right. Uh, In this show, if you've seen it, you know, she tries to help people live a more fruitful life by just cleaning up, by just tidying up a little bit. And and she will ask people, what sparks joy? And and if, if something in your life doesn't spark joy, then maybe you can give it away or or maybe you can throw it away. And, And I believe that our walk with God is a lot like that. We need to remain laser focused on what sparks joy in us. What are the things that make you want to say, yes, that's what it's all about. Uh, A Gallup poll showed that, that people who work within their strengths are three times more likely to report having a great quality of life. When you focus on the things that spark joy, it's much easier to weather the hard times. And to let you know how, with us kind of shifting our language to saying embodying the way of Jesus together, uh, there's, there's ways that this takes place. For example, we're hopefully done with putting people into spots to volunteer. We're hope, hopefully done with asking people to help us, the staff, do what we've dreamed up to do. What we want to do is to help you do something that you find wonderful and that you're passionate about. Uh, Last week, we launched what's called the Volunteer Accelerator. You can can find it at uh, asburybham.org slash now for Asbury Now. And you can take this, it takes two minutes to take this short survey and it'll show you the top 10 things in the church that meets up with your strengths. We don't want people just taking up a spot. We want people embodying the way of Jesus. The the second question I think uh, it's important for us to look at is is where am I double-minded? Do you really trust God or do you hedge your bets a little bit? James had some really harsh words for people who kept one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. 
He said they were unstable in all their ways. Now, he, he talked about doubt, but, but doubt is common to the human experience, and it's not a bad thing. Doubt can be stepping stones to deeper trust and understanding. A doubt prompts us to ask questions and seek answers and ultimately grow in our faith. James is not talking about that kind of doubt. James is referring to the idea of being torn between two ideas. Where else have we heard this? The Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. Trusting in God isn't about never having doubts or questions, but rather trusting in God is about turning to God in the middle of those doubts, believing that the way of Jesus is the best way even when it feels like all those waves are crashing in on us. It's an acknowledgement that our human understanding is limited, but God's wisdom is boundless. So how do you overcome this double-mindedness and cultivate trust? First, we need to seek wisdom. Uh, in our passage it says, but anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give it to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. This encourages us to approach God with our doubts, with our uncertainties, and work it out with him. Trust is nurtured when we seek divine guidance in making life's decisions. Uh, the next way I'd like to lift up for us to um, help us embody this, this practice is to stay together. You know, building a support system of followers around you, believers, can help us navigate when times are hard. When we embrace that we are together, we know that we're not alone. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, in, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes ultimately is, is a writing about the meaning of life. And, and in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, the writer says this, It's better to have a partner than go it alone. Share the work. Share the wealth. And if one falls down, the other helps. But if there's no one to help, by yourself, you're unprotected. With a friend, you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope is not easily snapped. We are meant to live life together. Uh, one of the things that I love is that we have come up with these little stickers and magnets that say together. I love how it doesn't say Asbury on it because this isn't a branding thing to get people to come to Asbury. I have put it on my computer, this side maybe, and my water bottle to remind me during those hard times, 
I am not by myself. And this morning, of course, in the parking lot, I pulled up and I saw one of these magnets on a car. It reminds me, we are not alone. I can't wait till I see them around town for that reminder that we are God's people together. Living as doers of the word (laughs) involves having that wisdom to know that Jesus's way is the best way for us to thrive. Let's pray together. God, we're just so thankful for this time we have had together to worship and to learn about you. Help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. In Jesus' name, amen.